Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon, and Mr. Crenshaw, take it away. I'm going to leave you all in one thought, and I'm going to leave. I'm a big believer in faith. I have a good feeling about this. That's all I'm going to tell you. Oh, yes, it's Ryder Cup week. A lot of American fans have had a good feeling about the 2016 team, including Captain Davis Love III, who called it the best team ever assembled. Might be a bit of a stretch, sure, but at least the man in charge is confident. And we'll dive into the Ryder Cup talk with five-time Ryder Cupper and O2 captain of Team USA, Curtis Strange, in a bit. But first, I wanted to tell you about Swing Juice. Swing Juice makes great golf t-shirts for golf-obsessed fans who might spend 45 minutes of their week listening to a golf podcast. I'm talking about you. Yes, Swing Juice is a leader in comfortable, relaxed t-shirts with golf themes of all sorts, including some Ryder Cup-themed tees on their website right now. If you visit swingjuice.com, pick up a couple of t-shirts, use the offer code BACON, you'll save 20% off your order. My favorite t-shirt right now is the Golf Alarm Clock t-shirt that runs you just $25 before the 20% discount. Go to swingjuice.com right now, offer code BACON, and up your gear game. And it is finally here. Yes, the Ryder Cup is finally here. Uh, the last exciting thing before Tiger Woods returns to golf at the Safeway Classic. But the last really exciting thing uh, of the year, really, and, and the thing we look forward to as golf fans every two years. People get excited about the Masters. They get fired up for the other major championships, including the U.S. Open. But the Ryder Cup is just a different beast. I talked to Curtis Strange uh, about being a captain, about being a player, about being a rookie. Uh, and he said there's no event like it. And you can listen to him. I had a great conversation with Curtis uh, but first, I wanted to go over my dream single matchups. So basically, what I did was I went through both teams and figured out the matchups on Sunday that I would want to see the, the most, the, the, the matchups that I hope happen come Sunday, especially if the matches are close. So here we go. Dream singles matchups will start off Ryan Moore versus Lee Westwood. Westwood's 2015 and six, but he's just three, six and oh in singles in his career. Uh, Ryan Moore obviously playing great golf right now. That just seems like a fun matchup. Sure, get him off early. Matt Kuchar, Thomas Peters, Brand Snedeker versus Chris Wood, uh, who was on the podcast last week. Make sure you listen to that. Uh, Jimmy Walker versus Cabrera Bayo. Might not be the best match to Mike, but it would be a lot of fun to watch. Those guys hit the ball incredibly well. Uh, J.B. Holmes versus Andy Sullivan. Sneaky, scrappy guys would be fun. Holmes is going to bomb it down the fairway at Hazeltine. Uh, Ricky Fowler versus Matthew Fitzpatrick, something to prove versus something to take away from these. I think Fitzpatrick is, is on the cusp of really changing into a, you know, maybe a top 10 player in the world, top five player in the world uh, over the next two, three, four years. I think he's got that kind of talent. This could be the week where wins two or three points. You know, it really takes him to another level internally and mentally. Uh, Brooks Kepka versus Justin Rose. Kepka's going to be exciting to watch at this thing. I mean, he, he just already said in his press conference he's just going to bomb it down every fairway. Rose always tough. I feel like Kepko will really get up against a, you know a major champion and, a, and a, now a gold medalist in Justin Rose. Zach Johnson versus Martin Keimer. Just feel like this could be grit versus grit. We've seen Keimer, you know, make enormous putts in Ryder Cups before. Zach Johnson, the kind of player that that, that is always up for the challenge. I was watching Medina highlights on Golf Channel uh, earlier this week, and Zach Johnson hit some big golf shots in that Ryder Cup. Patrick Reed versus Sergio Garcia. Fire versus fire. Seems like a layup. Phil Mickelson versus Henrik Stenson. I just want to see Royal Troon 2.0. Also allows me to make 
15 to 20 more gorse, the horse jokes, which is always a bonus. Dustin Johnson versus Rory McIlroy, second to last of my dream matchups. Current goats of their respective continents. I feel like, you know, I feel like Rory or Dustin take one this year, and that's who's been the best player. And finally, let's get that Augusta match, Augusta rematch happening. Jordan Spieth, Danny Willett, Danny Willett's brother popping off. I want to see it. I feel like Spieth will get uh, even more up for that if it happens. Those are my singles matches. You guys sent some in on Twitter. Make sure you do that as well. At Shane Bacon, at the Clubhouse Pod. Uh, follow both. If you like the podcast, go get a review. It's Ryder Cup week. We will be uh, pumping out stuff all week long on FoxSports.com. Of course, on the Twitter accounts and all that. It really is one of the better golf weeks of the year. And uh, speaking of uh, uh, big-time people that have been involved in this plenty of times, five-time Ryder Cupper Curtis Strange, 2002 captain, two-time U.S. Open champion. Uh, he had a lot of great things to say about uh, being a rookie. He was a rookie. Uh, he was a five, uh, one of five rookies on an American team back in 1983. He's been the, the, the last player on Sunday in singles a couple of times. Uh, and, you know, not just uh, talking Ryder Cup. He gave, he gave a great comment towards the end of the, the podcast about uh, Arnold Palmer, who uh, Curtis was really, really close to. So stick around for that. Curtis Strange, up next. And now we welcome into the clubhouse a five-time Ryder Cupper, captain of the 2002 United States Ryder Cup team, member of the Fox team, of course, back-to-back U.S. Open champion. Curtis Strange here with us. Curtis, how you doing? I'm good, Shane. Good to be with you. Well, I wanted to start with something that um, has made headlines. <laughs> it seems like we've we've already seen a lot of uh, uh, the mudslinging happening between the American team and, and the European team, but it's not happening between actual players. Uh, Danny Willett's brother penned an article uh, for the National Golfer that I can only describe as a as a humorless uh, version of of the Fat Amy's American style restaurant from Arrested Development, uh, basically. Uh, just kind of like calling out all American fans, uh, you know, I mean, pretty interesting names he used. Did you get a chance to, to see what he said yet? I didn't, but I can only imagine. Let me have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll read I'll read just a, a small et- excerpt from it. Um, basically, he mentioned the Americans, and he said, Team Europe needs to, to shut up those groupies up. They need to, to silence the pudgy basement dwelling, irritants stuffed on cookie dough and pissy beer, pausing between mouthfuls of hot dogs so they can scream baba booey until their jelly faces turn red. Uh, I, I have to ask you, I mean, tongue-in-cheek or not, he's obviously riling up some American fans. I mean, this has been on a ton of websites uh, across not just golf websites but sports websites. My question to you is, uh, is this bad for the European team and uh, for Captain Darren Clark knowing that now he has to fight a, an American fan contingent that's going to be going after Danny Willett for something his brother said. You know, the Rana Cup brings out the best in us every other year and the worst in us. And that, I'm sure Danny Willett is not proud of his brother right now, tongue-in-cheek or not. You know, these both teams prior to Friday look for any reason to motivate their team. And one way to really motivate your team is to find derogatory comments from other fans, the opposing players, maybe the opposing players' brothers. So, you know, 
as a guy and seen it just about all of that type of stuff, it's almost humorous. Uh, you know, I think sometimes you, you talk before you think, uh, and making comments, even our Davis love made a comment last week on, you know, this could possibly be the best American team has ever assembled. I think that's a huge mistake because it gives them just as Danny Wilt's brother gave us ammunition that gives them ammunition because I really don't think this is the best team ever assembled. It's a very strong team, but uh, just whatever can be on the board to motivate is put up there. And uh, when I was captain, I just basically told my guys, Hey, just zip it, (laughs) just zip it before (laughs) Friday. And then we won't have any poster board material, but you know, it's almost humorous and it's um, sometimes it's quite fun. And, and, and this, in this instance, um, you know, very wordy, I thought. Yeah, well, well, you know, the, the interesting thing about the comments, again, I mean, whatever he was trying to do, I mean, you could tell he didn't pass it by his brother. I mean, his brother, Darren Clark, said his brother, brother was mortified from it. Uh, he's already come out and told Golf Channel he, he apologizes for his brother. And, of course, as you mentioned, probably going to give him a nice phone call later this evening. But, you know, this is something that, you know, I mean, fans can affect a match. I mean, you know, we saw players affect matches, you know, back in 99 when, when they all kind of stormed the green after Justin Leonard made that incredible yes. putt. And, it, I mean, it disrupted a chance for European the Europeans to have a chance to tie that match. Fans can do the same thing. I mean, you can you can scream in a backswing. You can do something that could really mess with somebody. And this is before, before the matches started. I mean, this is bulletin board material for American fans, not for the players, but... You know, they could come out and go, we are going to go after Danny Willett. And as you mentioned, it brings out the, the worst in fans at times. I mean, we've seen it on both sides of the ocean. I mean, they'll come out and they'll do and say stuff uh, that's hurtful, that that, that, that they, they find on the Internet, you know, true or otherwise. And this is one of those things. I mean, this is going to be a little bit of a distraction, if nothing else, for the Europeans and for, for the Masters champion. Yeah, I mean, historically, uh, fans have not been – affected the outcome. Now you can say that, you know, potentially Jose Marie Alathabal could have been affected with that 15, 18 footer he had for birdie after Justin Leonard made the, the bomb at 17 it, and we ran on the green. Okay. Fair enough. But more importantly than that, the fans of Boston and I'm a huge Boston fan guy because one of my opens was in Boston and they adopted a Southern boy in 1988 <laughs> Uh, but with that said, you know, Boston fans can be tough and they were very, very, uh, unsportsmanlike, shall we say prior to that. And you hate to see that. Right. Um, we have a couple of times, two or three crossed the line. They have crossed the line maybe once or twice and let's just calm down. It's let's, let's (laughs) remember what the spirit of the games are. And I'm sure we'll be okay because when you think about Danny Willett's brother and what he said, uh, not many people really that could be out here this week have seen that. Right. So, and you know, we do have security. Uh, we do police the fans once in a while, and and if something does happen, it will be taken care of immediately. But uh, I really don't think it'll be an issue. But just the overall rule uh, rooting for your team. Shane and going overboard in the patriotic stuff uh, sometimes gets a little bit too patriotic. Right. And let's remember what this is. It is a golf match. It's not, you know, we're not shooting bullets or anything. Okay. And, and let's just kind of have some fun and root hard as hell for your own team. But let's also applaud 
the opposing team as well for good shots. For sure. And and you mentioned, uh, you know, when you were captain in, in 02, I, I wanted to talk about uh, that Sunday. And, you, you know, you were, you guys, you rolled out a lot of your big names late. You had, I think you had Phil and Tiger 11th and 12th in your spots. It was tied going in to Sunday. When you saw on paper the matchups that you were given, did, do you, did you feel confident that, that your team was going to be in a good position? Because it sure looked like on paper, you know, I looked back on it this morning, it sure looked like on paper that you had done a better job at organizing your players in an order that, that, than maybe Santorz did. No offense to him. It just it seemed like you put the guys in a position to succeed. Well, for all of our you know listeners uh, and, and viewers out there, uh, we, we put 1 through 12 down. They put 1 through 12 down. We cannot put a, a player against another player. That's how it's done. I put my 1 through 12 down uh, the way I thought was best. Um, I thought the matches were going to be close. Historically, if you, if the U.S. team is level going into Sunday, it's it's almost a shoe-in because individually we have been a better uh, team in singles. Uh, with that said, you know I thought fine. I, I thought I was fine. You know they can say what they want after they won that they felt great and they looked at my lineup and we knew they, we were going to win. BS. They don't. Right. They didn't know that until the, after it happened. But I thought fun. I thought we looked good. But I thought it was going to be close, as it always is. Playing over there, uh, I thought we would pull it out. And if it was going to be close, I wanted strength at the end. When I have Tiger Woods on my team, that's pretty good strength. When I have Phil Mickelson, that's pretty good strength. Now, would I do it again? No, I'd be an idiot to do the same thing again because we lost. But at that point in time, and don't Let's not forget that this was not done just solely on my decision. This was done with the entire team sitting on the pool table uh, Saturday afternoon after the matches. You know, so I asked them all, where do you feel comfortable going? I want Tiger last. Let's fill in the blanks after that. Tiger said, I'm happy going last. Uh, the only thing, you know, there was, there's, there's a type of, you know, when you second-guess yourself, and we all do and everything, um, when you lose, the one thing I didn't take into consideration is Tiger gets up early and he likes to go. I should have put him, you know, maybe even first, but second or third because he had to wait around to about 2.30 in the afternoon. But given that, you know, Phil, one of the top three, two or three players in the world at the time, Phil got beat by somebody I still don't remember his name. Philip so, Rice. Philip <laughs> Philip Philip Rice. Price. You know, I still have nightmares about that guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what? When does Phil Mickelson get, get, bit, get beat by another Phil? Not very many times. Right. So it wasn't it wasn't the lineup. It was the players didn't play as well as I would have liked them to, as well as they would have liked to. And we have to give the Europeans credit. Unfortunately, in our world, when somebody wins, we don't give the winners enough credit sometimes. We give the losers too much credit that they failed. Well, sometimes somebody just wins a competition, you know, just strictly flat out wins it, and there's nothing the other team can do. Uh, we could have played a little better, but that particular day, uh, they got momentum early because they did send out some strong players, and it was hard to relinquish that. Uh, it was it was not – they didn't relinquish that as the day progressed. Well, you, you mentioned Phil Mickelson. He had a press conference on Wednesday, and he mentioned that – 
Um, it all starts with the captain, and he gave a story about him and Tiger playing famously in 2004 for Hal Sutton, saying that you know he only had two days to prepare for this, and he wasn't used to Tiger's golf ball, and how he would never. Yeah, I've already uh, heard about that. Yeah, he would never tinker with 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 a golf ball two days before major. Major forgetting that I think that year he didn't use new golf clubs for the Ryder Cup. Uh, were, were you for, yeah, he he forgot he forgot to state that as well. But he, go ahead. Yeah, and, and I mean you you hear this, and and in you know last time with with Tom Watson and Phil Mickelson saying this. Uh, it, I mean I understand that the captain is extremely important. I mean you were important in '02. Uh, you know Davis Love will be important this week, but. How much do you? How much is it? Uh, you know, preparing as a captain, and how much is it these guys going and simply playing good golf? Well, I, you know, I've always said that I think that the responsibility of the captain has been way overblown. Uh, there's a lot of you know pre-tournament preparation that goes on for almost two years, and it's it's it's. I enjoyed every minute of it, uh, but when I really enjoyed it. It's getting to the belfry or getting to your location. Let's play the matches and putting the teams together, putting them out in certain rotations, and let's give them the best opportunity for them to play well. Uh, can a captain screw it up? Probably so. Um, I don't know of one that screwed up. You know, the players really do have to perform to win. Um, I do have negative feelings about what Phil said today about all of our friend, Hal Sutton. Um, I was with Hal all day today and he's, he's very hurt by his comments. Um, Phil 12 years later should let it go to rest. Um, Phil is Phil. And sometimes you wonder where it comes from. He's a friend of mine, but you know, this is a feel good week. This is a large event. Uh, it's, it's for the good of the game and athletics and, everything everybody has a ball uh now you certainly want to win but let's not bring up things like that negative comments about a former captain the captain worked his ass off and i applaud every captain because they do give up a lot of their time to do this it's a great honor but they put in a lot of time and effort and phil i think should have nipped it in the bud here a little earlier today but he didn't and let me tell you around this around the press room right now it is the hot topic what has phil done now and he, what he's basically done is he's he's hurt personally, Hal Sutton. Well, I mean, you know, you you said you were around Hal Sutton today. I mean, when he hears these comments, is is it astonishment to start? Because you said it, it was twelve years ago that this happened. I mean, to be bringing up a memory about something that happened. I mean, in '04, for goodness sakes, uh, you, you know, it just seems like it's almost. It's not just ill timed, but it's but it's, it was a little uncomfortable to hear, especially because it seemed like blame was on Hal Sutton when. In reality, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, arguably the two best players in the world at the time, weren't able to win a match playing together. They didn't play well. It's very simple. There's nothing about a golf ball. I don't know where that came from. And as you said, I didn't say. We forgot Phil changed clubs that week, and that was a hot topic 12 years ago. But let's just carry on. Right. You know what? It's it's we, we live in a very small world, and you know this is one of the greatest weeks we can be a part of. I have no idea why something negative like that came up. Uh, it does, it does not only hurt for Hal, but it's not good for the team room either because this is going to be headlines tomorrow in a lot of papers, and it's going to be a negative, negative remark by one of our players, and that's not good for morale. 
Well, speaking of going another way, and I want to go back to 1983. It was your first Ryder Cup. You were one of five yep. rookies on that American team. The Europeans have six rookies this year. Uh, what do you feel? What, what did? What were you able and the other rookies able to do to get comfortable? And what advice would you give? And uh, not to give advice to European players, but what advice would you give a rookie playing in this to keep their nerves about them, their wits about them, as they get set for? You know, a lot of people say the most pressure they'll ever feel playing golf. You know, there's not much you can say to them. You know, they're here because they're world class players. They're accomplished players. They've been in tight situations. But, the, you know, the Ryder Cup has been built up so big now, and it has gotten so big, it is a different animal. But these guys know how to control their nerves and emotions. Just take a deep breath and let's go play golf. Um, it, it is nerve-wracking. Everything about the week throws you off because it's out of your norm. Dinners, teams, match play, you know, just everything about it. So, um, you know, I like rookies on my team. They bring such an energy to the team. They're so full of piss and vinegar. I, I love it. I couldn't wait to go play golf in 83. My first match was with Raymond Floyd. That in itself was nerve-wracking enough. But we played well. And, you know, I think they just have to – the captain takes them aside and says, hey, pal, you're, you're a world-class player. You made this team. You know, you belong here. Now let's go do the best you can. And there's not anything else. I do like – I will say this from a captain's standpoint – on Friday, everybody on my team played. Nobody sat out the first day because I was, I was adamant about getting everyone into the match. And I think that that is good for a captain to do, unless you want to hide a player. You know, her, Europe, Europe has been known to hide a player who might not be up to the standard right now, not playing well, <coughs> or whatever reason. They, they've held, held players to singles matches on Sunday before. So, but I was... I didn't feel like that because guys come here to play, get them in the match, get them ready. And once they get in the match, they're, they're kind of in the flow of the game. And everything works out better for them. Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up European captains that did it, of course, in 99. Mark, Mark James sat, I think he sat three players until Sunday with that epic you comeback got it. by the Americans. I mean, it was, a, it, was, it was a big moment for the Americans because they had three players that were coming in cold. I mean, you know, it's almost like not hitting you know, range balls before you go play. I mean, what do you expect to do on that first tee? Yep. In 1985, uh, Lee Trevino had you in that anchor match, the match we we talked about previously you put Tiger Woods in, you know, that 12th spot. Was that a conversation that y'all had together, or was this just something Lee came up to you and said, hey, you're going you're gonna to be in the last position? No, it was, it was one of the nicest things ever happened to me. We're sitting at dinner, or not dinner, but before dinner, the whole team, and somebody brought up, you know, we got to have strength at the end or somebody with some, some, you know, some intestinal fortitude. And everybody said, there's the guy right there. And it was me. And I, I, I always, I always remember little things like that because, you know, you don't get a whole lot of compliments in this game because we all play against each other. But when your peers and your colleagues and your team members say something like that, it's, it really, it, it's very, very, um, um, it makes you feel good. Yeah, so, so the, the players almost voted you that last position then. Yeah, yeah, the players and the captain said, hey, he's the guy right there to play last. And uh, as it turned out, it, we, we won before my match was uh, – uh, no, actually, uh, what did we do? We lost. 
that's why I was playing. I was playing, um, uh, believe Ken Brown and I was beating him pretty well. And they closed out the match early on. And then he started making birdies on me. I said, Ken, what the hell are you doing? Let me win. Get in there and celebrate with your team. Get out of here. <laughs> you, you, ended, anyway, up, you uh, ended up winning four and two in that match. Thank, thank, thank goodness yeah. at the end. But yeah, uh, the, the Europeans they came, came on top of that. And it wasn't the only time that that was a position you were in. Uh, of course, famously in 1989. I, I, I didn't know this. I mean, I, I try to keep up on history. You birdied your final four holes in that match? Yeah, I was two down. If I remember correctly, I was two down with four to go. And I birdied 15 and 16 and 17 to go one up. And 18 being an incredibly difficult hole at the Belfry. Um, I drove it well, hit a two iron to three feet. And basically gave me the putt, and so I birdied the last four to beat him two up. But um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't mean a great deal, but it meant enough for us to have the cup. We actually didn't retain the cup because they retained it because we have it. But at least I was able to beat Ian Woosnam to uh, have the cup in '89, which is kind of like kissing your sister, but it's better than losing. Yeah, I was going to ask you. First of all, is that I mean, have have you ever been that zoned in? Because it still mattered. It still mattered. I mean, to that point, it still mattered where you were at, especially you know on the fifteenth and sixteenth hole. Do you have you ever been in a zone like that at that type of a uh, level of an event? Well, yeah, you know, you win some tournaments and you're and you're playing well, but that one when you come through when you're down for your teammates, you're not playing for yourself now. You're playing for a lot of other people, especially those standing right there looking at you, teammates. Um, it's very rewarding. And, you know, we, whenever we step on the tee, um, it was, it was more about a personal pride. You know, I'm out there playing a guy that I want to beat. And, you know, I have a, I have a record in a, in a, in the Rada cup. That's not very good, but I, at least that one I came through and, um, you know, you, you you just kind of do what you can. You don't want to get beat any time you go out on the golf course. Right. Do you, do you like that? Do you like that the Ryder Cup can end in a tie and then the, the team before it can retain the cup? Because, I mean, you you think about it. It could be, you know, in theory, it could be 12 completely different players out there playing than maybe the team two years before. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where the President Cup does differ. They play off, and they have played off. You know, I don't know, Shane. It's 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 a It's a tough call because you have daylight to deal with. You have how do you have a playoff when you have twelve members of each team? Do you have one guy on each team go and represent the whole team? I don't know if that's fair. Um, I think ties are probably okay. Um, you know there hadn't been but a few of them over the years. It doesn't happen every time, but uh, I think it's okay. And there was a little spat between a couple of TV guys yesterday about uh, this whole execution thing going out, and there was a uh, Phil and Tiger, of course, where the names brought up. Uh, not having great Ryder Cup records. Do you feel like we look a little too much at a win-loss tie, especially in the two-man team format? Uh, you know, because Tiger Woods could be out there playing solid golf, his partner could not show up, or they could run into a red-hot European team. I almost feel like sometimes we look at their records and forget either the team lost the Cup, so of course the team's not, the player's not going to get a lot of points, or we need to look at the whole picture, not just what it ended up. Well, I, I've heard this morning on the two players that kind of went at it a little bit, and let's just say that the former player, the former Ryder Cupper that defended the players, got a standing ovation when he went through the team room <laughs> last night. Um, let's just say that when you haven't ever been in the team room and been a part of this team, it's very difficult to know what it's like. Now, you can run, and so that's why the other 
TV guy was talking about numbers because he's never been there before. You're exactly right. I, I didn't look at the numbers too much. I'm a field guy. Um, Tom Kite looked at the numbers. Uh, that's the way he is. I had, for instance, I went with games and personalities and, and more games than personalities. I wanted to see how the two games matched up in best ball and in the foursomes. And that's all I went on. That's all I went on. You know, uh, I didn't ask them if they liked the guy or not that they wanted to go play with. I said, A is going to play with B. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah, sure. Go beat, go beat them and make me look good. It's, it's very simple. I think we overcomplicate this thing. Now, the, you know, the, the numbers crunchers out there will say I'm crazy. But um, I just think the, the guys know each other so well. They've play, they played against each other since probably junior golf. I know at least college and, and all on their, uh, their professional lives. Uh, they know each other better than I do. They know how they play. They know how they like the other games or don't like the way that other guy plays. Put them together, you know, let them go. And uh, it just depends on your, your philosophy on best ball and foursomes. That's what it comes down to, how you think they better match up. But once you get through that, it's not that tough. Is is there any, I mean, you won back-to-back U.S. Opens. I mean, I'm in the, I've talked to you, you know, off podcast before about uh, the pressure in that second U.S. Open when, when Sunday was coming. And, you know, I think you had a realization you could win back-to-back U.S. Opens. Is there a yeah. pressure like the Ryder Cup pressure? I mean, even on Friday, is there anything like that for a player? You know, I, no, it's it's a different animal. And uh, it's an enormous amount of pressure trying to win a big tournament, the U.S. Open, the Open, whatever it might be, the Masters. The, 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 there's pressure even going into the Ryder Cup because you know if you don't perform, you're going to get, you're going to get scrutinized through and through and actually criticized. And you're going to let a lot of people down. The Ryder Cup you represent not only your your 11 teammates and your captain, but your family, your tour, the people that have helped you up along the way. And then the biggest and most important is your country, that flag. And so there's there's a lot of at stake. And you can't help but think about that during the matches, not really on the golf course, but there's because of that, there's this underlying pressure to perform. And does that hinder us? Well, I think it hinders everybody a little bit, but you also see some fantastic play, some fantastic play under that kind of pressure. So uh, it is a different animal because in a U.S. Open, if I fail, I fail. And that's the only person I can disappoint. Now, certainly your wife and your family are disappointed, but I don't have to answer to anybody. The Ryder Cup, you have to answer to a lot of people. Well, and so we hear a lot about the, the pressure of the Ryder Cup. I wanted to ask... Is you can think back to your five Ryder Cups, think back to O two as a captain. Has is there a more fun week for a player than Ryder Cup week? Absolutely not. You know, Shane, we all played sports growing up, and and I was a kind of a basketball track guy all through high school. And you know what? I love team sports. I, I always felt like I was a team guy, and I loved it. Uh, I loved the practices as much as the games. <laughs> and then you go to college and although you're playing golf in college, it's really a team sport. It's an individual slash team sport in college golf. So you're also part of a team. And I loved it. You know, you got somebody to root for, you got somebody to play for. And then you get on tour and it's the ultimate selfish, self-centered 
sport there is. Probably tennis, you know, when you're out there by yourself. And so you have to be somewhat inside, arrogant, cocky, believe in yourself big time to beat the best in the world. And then you come together for the Ryder Cup, and it takes you back to those sporting days when you were part of a team. And there's a lot of cutting up. You get to know a player that you might not know real, real well. You might not know the young kid very well. Um, Phil Mickelson might not know uh, uh, Kepka very well or somebody else. He gets to know him. You get to know the girlfriend or wife. And um, it's, you, there's a bond there that, um, that's, that is there forever. And especially as a captain, you know, I still have two or three guys from my team that still call me captain. And they don't know this, but it's, it's the greatest feeling in the world when they do that. And uh, it, it shows that they respect the job he did, they respect you, but also you're part of this small fraternity that uh, they can't take away. Yeah, and, and I had a question, speaking of your captaincy, this, this, you're, you're, you're killing it with the segues, by the way, right now. Um, I, I had a, I had a question on Twitter. Somebody hey, asked, I do this. Okay. No, I know you do. I, that's what I'm saying. Um, somebody on Twitter asked me this, and of course I'm about as unqualified as it comes to answer this, but they asked, um, why aren't the single matches on Sunday? Why don't the captains sit down and go back and forth almost like a fantasy football snake draft to see who goes up against whom? And I wanted to ask you, yep. would that be something you enjoyed as a captain? Or do you like the way that you just present 12 names and that's who goes up against theirs? Well, it's, it's, it's really an interesting subject because it is talked about. Um, the President's Cup does that. We do not. Um, I, it could, I could go either way on that because it would make good TV. It makes good TV um, at the President's Cup. Um, it's spur of the moment. you got your team there. Who wants to play in my day? Who wanted to play Seve? Or Nick, who do you want to play over there in the U.S.? So it would be fun. But I, I would be afraid that it would be too much ruled by TV. And what I mean by that was, you know, okay, TV, prime time, last match. Who do you think they want in the last match? TW. <clears throat> okay, who do we want against TW? Okay, the two captains get together and say, okay, we're going to put Rory against Tiger. Right. You know a couple of Ryder Cups ago. Yeah. And I don't want TV to control that. Not that they would control it, but you would be pressured into doing that. Let's do it the honest way. Let's put it one through 12 and, and, and how they fall is, is how they play. But the other way is an interesting concept. Uh, I wanted to ask you a few short hit questions, then I'll get you out of here. First one, uh, the toughest person you ever faced in a Ryder Cup. Seve. Ballesteros. Without a doubt. Uh, he was the... He was the leader of the team. Uh, Tony Jacklin, in my years, was the captain but the, and did a fantastic job, a genius job of handling all the personalities. But in actuality, Seve was the leader of the team, and he was the inspiration. He carried the team on his shoulders, numerous Ryder Cups, and he was extremely tough to play. He was talented, but he was a great match play player. He was a tough guy, and he had plenty of gamesmanship in him, which is part of these matches. And um, he'd, he'd get under your skin. But uh, that, was a, that was a part of why he was so good in match play. You once said, I'm a grinder. I maximize my game. Who is the 2016 version of Curtis Strange? <laughs> uh, you know, off the top of my head, um, Patrick Reed, although he looks like he's incredibly talented, um, 
uh, uh, Zach Johnson. Um, just, just players that maybe nope. maybe didn't get the fanfare coming in as a professional, but have have, have obviously gone above and beyond kind of what we maybe thought they would do. Yeah, as a the pro. guy, the guy. When I say that, first of all, being a grinder means you get everything out of your game you possibly can. You don't give up on on any shot. Now, don't don't think I didn't, you know, have a tough time doing that every time. But uh, you know, you when you don't have a game, especially in a day's time that can overpower a golf course, you better be a grinder or you're not going to survive because you're giving too much up in, in the strength department. But, you know, it, it's also a guy who can be, can be a gutsy player coming down the stretch. And those two guys are, are, have big ones. Um, <laughs> look what Zach did at the open last year. Look at Patrick Reed. Looks like he's a, he's very confident in his ability. Um, so that's what I'm talking about. And they don't spit the bit when they have a chance, they don't spit the bit. And, and falter. Um, you know, we, you know, we, we look at it every week, the winner of, of a tour championship or a tournament on tour or the European tour. And it looks like everything's coming easy. They hold the trophy and hold a big check. Well, let me tell you something for the last nine holes. They haven't, they couldn't spit if they had a gun to their head. They're so nervous. Uh, it, their stomach is crawling. I mean, you, you know what it's like. Uh, and then when you see a guy get emotional after he wins, it means a great de- de- deal to him. So, uh, those that's what I'm talking about when, when I say grinder and, uh, um, and then you got to, well, those are the two guys that come to mind. Okay. If if you got to fill in the blank here for team, for team USA to win blank has to play well all week. Top players. That's why we haven't played well and not, not throwing anybody under the bus in the last three or four Ryder cups or four or five Ryder cups. Our top players haven't, don't have winning records. Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Jim Furyk. Um, you know, and your top guys have to carry the team. Uh, so uh, that's what has to happen. But I think they, they're they not on familiar turf here at Hazeltine. So that's not really going to be an advantage. Um, uh, you know, you just got to maximize your ability and, and play and believe in yourself. And don't play to lose. Play to win. I don't know who coined that phrase years ago, but it's so true in the Ryder Cup. And Davis Love has been talking about it for the last six months, and I think he's right on. Don't play defensive golf. Don't play and scare golf. Go play. Play aggressive. Play like you play on tour. Play like you'd be playing for $2 Nassau at your home on Saturday morning. And don't be afraid about it. You know, um, that would be it. And that would be all. I mean, they're world-class players. They don't need anything from me. Um, you know, it's it, it you know it comes down to pretty simple stuff. We're going to play this game, and we got to play a little bit better than them. We got to make a few more putts than they do. And on paper, you have to keep reminding these guys: on paper, you're a better team. That doesn't re- really mean anything once we start on Friday. But confidence-wise, in in yourself and your team, you are a better team. Statistically, world ranking, majors, I think most everything else, they're a better team. You have to just keep reminding them of that. Okay, and and same question for Team Europe, and you can you can pick out a player or or, or a group of players, but for t- for Team Europe to win, blank must perform. Top players, same thing. But I would say to them now, you know, guys, they're writing us off. They're saying they're the best team ever assembled. We know that's not right. <laughs> they're cocky. They're uh, they. W- w- 
All we have to go on is our history in the last 20 years, guys. We know how to do this. They're the ones who are afraid because they have the pressure on them playing in the U.S., saying they're such a good team, uh, but when they've lost so many times recently, they can't have a whole lot of confidence. That's what you can throw back on your team from their standpoint, and he should be doing that. So it's a coaching thing, and and I I, I dearly love that part of my captaincy is dealing with the 12 personalities, dealing with the the games starting on Friday morning. And uh, you know what? They believe in themselves. They're tough competitors. Don't ever write them off. They're great match play players. They have a lot to prove playing against the USA, the big bad USA, you know. And their tour owns their Ryder Cup. It is a great victory when they win because it does so much for their own tour, for sponsorships and bragging rights. So uh, they have a lot to gain. All right, Curtis, you got to tell me who wins this thing. You know, I really think we have some young blood on the team, and I really think we're going to do well. Um, but I, I think that uh, also um, Jordan, Spieth, needs to play well, just like I said, the top team, the top names. Uh, and I don't even really include right now Phil Mickelson in that, the top two or three players. Um, uh, whoever the top two or three players are statistically, you know, in the world ranking, you just need your top players to do well. And then everybody else, think about the momentum that carries on to the rest of the team. Um, you, When you're a, a pick or one of the bottom players on the team, you look up to those guys. You know they have to play well. Uh, they don't expect me to play well, that type thing. So um, I think we win, though. I really do. And, uh, and last thing, uh, of course, you know, on Sunday news broke of uh, Mr. Arnold Palmer passing away. You know, away. you could be a news guy. Last thing, this is the third time it's been last <laughs> thing. Then so. I know. Go but ahead. I, I, just, I just wanted to – I knew you probably had something great uh, on, on Mr. Palmer. Of course, you know, he passed on oh, Sunday. Yeah. The, the news broke. I, I just wanted to ask – uh, do you have a story uh, that, that, you, that you've had w- w- with Mr. Palmer over your years of being a professional and, and being around him that kind of comes to mind, something that, that you'll always think about when, when you see the umbrella or, or you think about Arnie? Yeah, it, uh, I, I first have to tell you this has hit me harder than I ever thought it would. Um, but I go back a long ways, not to be self-serving, but um, I could be the poster boy for for people that have – Palmer has Mr. Palmer has influenced. I my dad was on the was a club pro was on the Arnold Palmer golf staff when I was a kid. I played Arnold Palmer golf clubs when I was a junior. Um, I went to Wake Forest on an Arnold Palmer golf scholarship. Um, I uh, won the Palmer Award three times on tour. Um, Sarah and I, and she's sitting here looking at me. Forty years ago, two days ago, we spent our first honeymoon night in his house with Winnie. Uh, I played an exhibition with him the day after we got married, and we went back to his house and spent the night. Uh, and so we, we continued that relationship for, for the last 40 years. And although we didn't see each other a great deal and didn't talk a great deal, but sometimes you just don't have to, but anytime Shane, I had a decision to make in my life. And one of the big decisions was going to TV when I was 42 years old, I sought out Arnold and he told me I shouldn't take it. He gave me the honest advice. He didn't tell me what I, so that's what I was looking for. And so times like that, that you really, really appreciate a, a sounding board and many dinners, many practice rounds, Jay Haas, not from wake would always search him out at the open championship at Bay Hill. 
And any time we got a chance to play with Arnold, we tried our best. And, you know, to me, he was, he was one of those guys that would never die. Um, he was, he was Superman to me and, um, we'll all miss him. We'll all miss him. Well, Curtis, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I know, uh, I know it's a big week, uh, not just w- w- with Mr. Palmer and, and, and all of that that's happening, but of course the Ryder cup, I know those guys will be out there playing for him. I appreciate the time as always. And I will see you soon. It's going to be a great rule for all. Thanks, Shane. Talk to you. Well, that'll do it for the podcast this week. Uh, had an Arnold Palmer podcast on Monday, remembering uh, the legend that is Mr. Palmer with Bob Ford and John McGinnis, Curtis Strange. Many thanks to Curtis. He has a busy week, I know, uh, being Hazel Teen, of course, being a former captain and a former player. So many thanks to him. If you like the podcast, go rate it, go review it, uh, go subscribe, tell your golf friends about it. We have koozies coming soon, and those will be given away if you follow the account at the Clubhouse Pod. We will be giving them away from that Twitter account uh, solely. Nowhere else will we be giving them away. So make sure you follow that for a chance to get your hands on a nice koozie you can stuff in that golf bag. Uh, Ryder Cup starts Friday. Uh, make sure you are well caffeinated because it's going to be a fun week and a fun weekend. Football, take a back seat. Golf is here for one more week. want to take a moment to remind you to check out SwingJuice.com. SwingJuice makes incredibly fun, incredibly interesting, always topical golf t-shirts. Their website is awesome. Their inventory, even more awesome. They've got so many t-shirts. They've got Ryder Cup tees on their website right now. Use the offer code BACON. It'll save you 20% on all orders. Swingjuice.com. Go up your t-shirt game now. Okay, have a great week. We will see you guys next week to recap it on Monday with a very special guest. As of now, make sure you make some birdies.